This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, opinion leaders, and authors. Season 11, Episode 11, Solar Earth Technologies, Solar Power 2.0, talking with CFO Anders Cruz. The next phase of solar power technology is fast approaching. Of course, we're all familiar with the solar panels on our roofs or the vast solar arrays in the California and Arizona desert. Today, however, our focus will be on what comes next for solar. There are other amazing solar products in development today, such as solar paint, solar windows, solar-powered cars, and solar water desalination. But embedding photovoltaics in existing infrastructure shows much promise. And joining us today from his office in Seattle, Washington, is Anders Cruz, the CFO of Solar Earth Technologies. Hi, Anders, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Anders, let's launch right into it. I was reading that if the existing 48,000 miles of interstate highways in the United States were covered with solar panels, that infrastructure, that 48,000-mile network of interstate highways covered with solar panels would be sufficient to generate three times the electricity needs of our country. Is that the opportunity that Solar Earth is exploiting? Well, ultimately, that opportunity, yes, but more critically, all the other places where we have what we call hardscapes, such as rooftops that maybe aren't strong enough to carry traditional solar panels, pavements, sidewalks, bike paths, driveways, parking lots, and a whole host of other locations where the opportunity exists to harness solar energy. To We do not have a product, in fact, nobody yet has a successful product that is strong enough to withstand the extreme wear and tear that highway use puts on the surface. We are the market leader on a product for what we call light load, so that would be appropriate for stuff like parking lots and so on. But let me put a bit of a background to exactly why we believe we're part of the solar 2.0 and part of where solar power goes next. One of the most wonderful things for our planet and our human civilization is the incredible cost reductions in solar photovoltaic power, which is one of the cleanest, greenest renewable powers available. Prices have dropped dramatically on what's called a levelized cost of energy. Why do we use that term in the industry? Well, because things are very, it's very different to compare a coal-fired plant with, say, something like a solar power cell. In the one case of the coal plant, you have to build the plant, and then you have to constantly pay for the coal. You also essentially have a social cost in the emission of the carbon dioxide, or carbon as it's now being abbreviated in many parlances. With regards to the solar cell, your feedstock is free. You're not paying for the sunlight, but you do still have to buy the solar cells and get them installed. Both systems have a certain lifetime of expectancy before they need to be replaced. So when we take the total cost of the installation, plus the total cost of the feedstock that goes into the power plant over its lifetime, pull that out over the lifetime, and then compare that to how often and how frequently it is going to be generating and at what capacity, we come up to what is called an LCOE, which is shorthand for levelized cost of energy. 
usually expressed in dollars per watt or megawatt or kilowatt hour. Because a fundamental measure of energy energy capacity is the watt, but of course it doesn't help you if you only generate it for a second. So for example, all your listeners' utility bills are probably in kilowatt hours or watt hours. Right. Solar so photovoltaic solar cells now offer us the cheapest levelized cost of energy on the planet. That's fantastic in and of itself. What's also incredible about them is that in addition to being so cheap, it's also clean or green power in the sense that it in and of itself, in generating the power from the cells, there's no carbon dioxide generated. And of course, that assists us with global warming issues. There is an ongoing controversy about discussing, well, as has been the case, Jim, with Tesla cars as to how clean is the production cycle to produce the cells, but that's for another day. More and more, the challenge with solar, so solar 1.0, the rooftop solar, the large solar farms that you referenced, Jim, has already started to achieve many of the benefits, but there are some challenges for solar 1.0 systems. One of them is that they're very fragile. Glass-based silicon polymers don't stand up well to typhoons or hurricanes, mm-hmm. um, and, therefore, and of course cannot be driven on in their native state, and that limits a lot of places where they could be used. For the solar farms, there's increasing controversy with regards to the footprint. They're taking up valuable land that could otherwise be used for agriculture or housing. And as they grow and grow in size, there's more and more pushback from neighborhoods and urban use groups asking whether this is the best use of that particular area. Mm -hmm. And all solar has the issue of intermittency. There's not a lot of solar power generated at night. So solar power to be fully effective as an electricity source needs complementary storage or intermittent variable solutions for the large-scale grid. Solar energy, solar earth, we're working hard on improving the solar, fixing the solar 1.0 issues by addressing the fragility with strong, rigid encapsulation modules that cover the solar cell, addressing the footprint by taking those modules and putting them in places where there's already a flat surface and yet allowing it still to be used with proprietary technology for the traction layer on top. If you think about embedding a solar cell in a slab of pavement, say for a sidewalk, you have a number of issues. If you did it now, anybody walking on it would crack the cell and it wouldn't work. Okay, so we put it in a nice rigid frame that supports a light load. The second issue you have is that glass is very, very slick. So if you had it now with a rigid support and somebody stepped on it, you would, of course, have all kinds of traction and hazard issues. So we put on a transparent layer that has some grip to it, equivalent to what the existing surface has. The next issue you have is that transparent layer and the grip surface have to stand up to the wear and tear of walking, biking, or parking, and light vehicle load over many, many years, 5 to 10 to 15 years of lifetime. So that's all required many, many years of development, but we've now hit that button on a successful light load application and are actively working on that heavy load application, Jim, that would let us put it into the highways, not just of America, but also of many other countries such as China, India, South Africa, and other places that also are looking for solutions to move their energy generation from dirty sources to clean and cheap solar. Let's let's just come back for a minute to California because I'm in California, Absolutely. you're in the state of Washington, and Earth Solar is in Canada. But California yeah. is the market that I'm most familiar with. And here in California, about 20% of our total electricity 
generated is generated from solar. About another 10% comes from wind and hydropower. The hydropower, of course, is historic here in California with with our dams and uh, runoff and so on and so forth. So today, approximately 20% from solar, 10% from wind and hydro. And there's a mandate here in California, a government, a state government mandate that says that by 2045, a mere 23 years from now, 100% of the electricity generated in California must come from renewable sources. We're at 30% today. We've got 23 years to get from 30 to 100. So we've got to get up to 70. So so California is going to be looking for really innovative solutions like what Earth Solar is proposing that are both that that are both durable and robust and that can be that can be built into existing infrastructure. So where do where does Earth Solar stand in terms of the market? Is your product actually in beta testing or are you beyond beta testing? Are you actually selling your product? Give us a sense of where you stand and helping us here in California get from that 30% renewable to 100% renewable. And we've got to do that in 23 years. Well, absolutely, Jim. In fact, California is one of the world leaders in promoting clean, green, renewables and sustainable energy future. And the mandate is even more personal and more immediate for many Californians because there's also a mandate that all new Californian homes must be built net zero, meaning that in aggregate over the year, they have to generate as much power as they take in. Our product is already out there in the marketplace. It hasn't distributed widely to the retail level yet, but in fact, we are already actively looking for partners in California. So if you've got any solar installation company people listening to this podcast, please give me a call. We'd love to talk to you guys. The challenge for California new homes, Jim, is going to be that while traditional solar 1.0 rooftop solar installations would take care of a lot of that net zero requirement, in many locations it might not be enough. Mm -hmm. Not everywhere in California it's sunny all day, every day, like Palm Springs. In many locations you might need more area to capture that sunlight. And in locations like that, our product becomes quite a feasible complement to a rooftop solar array. You could install it over your parking lot, in your driveway, or out on the sidewalk in front of your home. We're working on products you can put on docks and have an uh, outstanding order for one of those already. So the key, as we point out, is that less than 1% of sidewalks, parking lots, pathways, much less roadways, are already leveraged. To capture solar. Really, it's very, very early days for solar 2.0. And as you reference, people are not just working like solar earth, working in the pavement integrated photovoltaic, but there's also ongoing development of what is being called building integrated photovoltaic, where you have things like solar paint or solar panels that can go onto the side of the house. There's always efficiency concerns, that, and that's really where a lot of the research and development is going on. Once you come off of, once a solar cell is not perpendicular to the sun, mm -hmm. the existing style of solar cells become very inefficient. So our product is not as efficient per square foot as rooftop solar or solar farms. Mm -hmm. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're not trying to replace rooftop or solar farms. We're trying to complement them. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do really 
is to energize places that are already dedicated to flat, solid surfaces like parking lots, driveways, commercial rooftops, and to then use those to generate the power that we as a society need going forward. For the benefit of our listeners, I published a photo blog over the weekend which shows pictures of sidewalks and driveways and public spaces which incorporate the solar earth technology right on the ground. So listeners, if you haven't already gone to the blog, please go to my website, go to the blog tab, click on the tab and go to the most recent blog post. It's a photo blog post, which was posted this past weekend. And you'll see photographs of the the sidewalks, the driveways, the rooftops, the public square, the public areas where this photovoltaic solar panel 2.0 is located. And obviously a picture a picture says a thousand words, so I'm just bringing that to your attention. So Anders, please proceed. Oh, one other question I had for you, which was the, inter, the intermittent nature of solar power. We've all seen the huge rise in natural gas prices in Western Europe. I had read, you, you're the expert here, but I had read that that huge demand in natural gas prices was due to the fact that there had been an unforeseen drop in wind-generated power in Northern Europe, causing a deficit, which then caused a greater demand to generate electricity through the natural gas-powered power plants that exist throughout Europe, in particular in, in Germany and Holland and the UK, etc. Again, speaking of intermittency, were you familiar with that? So th- there's, an, there's an example of one of the hiccups that we're seeing as we transition from traditional sources of electricity generation, in this case, natural gas power generation, to wind power and we're seeing one of the hiccups in that transition. Any thoughts about that when you, since you did talk about intermittency? It's the biggest hindrance for solar power not being adopted faster. You know, I've sort of addressed now the one of the issues that we mentioned, which is the footprint and how our products basically allow us to use footprints of existing hardscape without changing their, without deteriorating their functionality. And in some cases, actually, can we improve it? For example, by putting lighting elements or heating elements lighting elements into the pavement so that it lights up at night for better visibility Mm. or heating elements for colder climates so that during the daytime, not only is the sunlight de-icing your driveway, but we're heating it up with the power that's generated from the solar cells in the driveway as well and keeping it nice and clean and avoiding that shovel work. But the intermittency is a huge issue. Certainly natural gas demand for what are called peaker plants, which are what are now being used by the big utilities to balance their demand supply loads, was definitely one of the factors that led to natural gas prices peaking in Europe. There were a few others as well, and it's a very deep analysis to that. But that doesn't diminish the critical issue. And indeed, California and Arizona are facing many issues with massive amounts of solar power being generated, even just from that 20% all at the same time during the day. It's one of the reasons, and then having to balance that load in the nighttime when people are still using power. There's a couple of ways around that. 
at the large grid level, having things like hydropower, which is what we call dispatchable, that is, if you think about it, a hydro dam like a giant tub, you can open or close the valve to the hydro generators. And the same with the natural gas peaker plants. You can turn them on or up or down as you need them to balance the load from things like solar plants where you have less control over exactly how much power they're generating. Mm -hmm. So that's one answer. Another answer is grid-level storage of power, and there's some very interesting solutions going on out there where the grid utility itself of Southern California at a center of PGE is working at the level of storing power in. It could be batteries. Sometimes it's actually pumping water back up into the dam Hmm. or other elements to try to make sure that they have the power available to balance off the loads from intermittent sources like wind and solar. Mm -hmm. But a, a more interesting application for me is when we start looking at what's called microgrid storage solutions. Mm-hmm. That is, when instead of thinking about the solution for consistent power being generated by the larger grid, look at it at the at the scale, much, much smaller scale level of a house or a neighborhood right. itself. And already your listeners are probably familiar with some of the battery technologies out there. The Tesla wall battery is quite familiar. Yes. Um, there's a number of products that you can install with a fairly small footprint and at now quite reasonable economics. In many jurisdictions, they're even subsidizing installation of energy storage in the house. And that allows you to levelize and balance out your own load. Mm-hmm. So you could couple a household-level storage facility with a household-level solar system and balance out the load throughout your day. And then having that connected to the grid, just add or subtract some power to the grid as and when your net little system actually has a little extra power to get out there or needs a little extra to draw in. That solution we're going to see a lot of. To that point, at a very micro level, my daughter and son-in-law are buying Tesla batteries, those wall batteries, to recapture the electric power that's generated by the solar panels on the roof of their house. And by the way, that Tesla battery plant is located in Nevada. It's located east of Elko, Nevada. It's a 10 million square foot, 10 million square foot plant, Elko. And of course, it's located in Nevada because some of the rare earths that are necessary to go into the manufacture of these batteries are located in Nevada. But I just wanted to throw that out there, that the the storage element of solar power, wind power, is a very important piece of the puzzle because of the intermittency that, that you raised and because of the intermittency that we're seeing in Western Europe right now. Well, we're seeing so much exciting work on the storage issue, which we celebrate at Solar Earth because it just makes our product more usable in more places. Not just holding solar walls from Tesla to power your Tesla, they're now looking at solutions where the Tesla itself becomes the storage battery or any other electric car. That is, if you're sitting at home, not using the car and it's plugged in, and you're powering it up maybe with your solar rooftop and your solar earth driveway, once it's full, you can let it sit there at night and it can drive not only your own little grid, but it could even feed power out to everyone else if you had confidence it would be loaded up again. There's all kinds of software and issues to tackle with that. But that's why we have so many fantastic people working on technology. I Uh think, in fact, Tim, there may be a good argument that one of Tesla's major future opportunities as a business has a lot more to do with battery production and technology than maybe simply attaching those things to cars to move them around. 
Certainly they have had a challenge with their solar tiles. Uh, so Tesla started, one could argue, maybe a little early out of the gate with a rooftop solar solution that was kind of solar cells embedded in a thick roofing tile. If you think about a standard masonry tile, they're trying to make those out of a glass and make them a little more durable. But the cost issues for those have gotten prohibitive for most people to install them versus standard solar. I want to just note a little bit about the benefits, not just of capturing solar on existing hardscapes without changing the usage like pavements, but also the benefits that we can get from Solar 2.0 when we now have non-fragile systems. We've done an installation down in Tampa for one of their critical traffic-like infrastructures as a test pilot. Their issue there is that much of the power to the traffic system in Tampa and other hurricane belt cities is with overhead lines that are quite vulnerable to any large storms that come through. Mm -hmm. So what they did was, what we did was install solar earth panels in the sidewalk next to that traffic light system. Now when a storm comes through, even if the power cables come down, that traffic intersection is still going to have the traffic lights working. We're looking at a similar system and solution for a municipality outside of Shanghai in China where they have typhoon issues. They had been using some rooftop solar installations, but what they found was that the fragility of the solar 1.0 rooftop installations when the typhoons came through pulled the wires out or smashed the panels. So they're looking at our solution to put into a rooftop parking lot of a department store. Most people in China do all their shopping in the evenings anyway. So that entire area is basically one going to become one giant solar panel during the day, and it's rugged, and it's typhoon-resistant, and it's durable. And then when people are there at night, well, at least we've cleaned up some of the power generation during the daytime. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch of applications where a more rugged and a more durable solar cell solution can also fit in and power opportunities that have otherwise been, to, to date, have been neglected. Now, Anders, the photovoltaic technology, which Solar Earth employs, is proprietary, I assume, to Solar Earth. Tell us a little bit about Solar Earth. It's a Canadian company. It's based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah. Talk yeah. to me about the, the technology itself, Solar Earth. Absolutely. Well, so, yeah, so Solar Earth Technologies is, although we're based in Vancouver, we're, we're very much a global company. Our largest current division is in China, but we also have, as I mentioned, an installation in Tampa. We have our sales pipeline has orders coming in from Michigan. We have orders coming in for a brand new urban uh, development in Denver. We have uh, just spoke this morning to a, an installer in Malta. We're looking at opportunities in South Africa. We've installed some at some of the green eco parks. They also have energy uh, transmission issues. And I'm talking to partners in Ghana. So the opportunities truly are global, Jim. And our intent is to work with good partners everywhere to get this opportunity captured as fast as possible for everyone out there. We don't do the solar photovoltaic cells themselves we buy on the market right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then what our proprietary technology is, is what we call the encapsulation. So that is that rugged box around that we put the solar cells in, which keeps them from being crushed when you apply a load. Mm -hmm. And even more with regards to that transparent traction layer on top. 
where we are partnered with the giant German chemical concerns, BASF, on our proprietary adhesive and surface stuff. Because if you think about it, we want to replicate something like concrete for the durability and the traction, but it has to be transparent so we can get power down into the solar cell. What is exciting is that we're working on, we call it G3, a proprietary solar cell itself that instead of only capturing its peak efficiency at the perpendicular of the sunlight is designed to have the sunlight bounce around inside the cell Mm. so that we're more efficient over a longer breadth of time during the day. And we start getting rid of some of those, start tackling some of those intermittency problems at the cell level itself. That's still going to be a couple of years of work on that one. Mm -hmm. This is all very ambitious. It's terrific to hear that for a young company such as yours, that you're already global in scope, China, South Africa, Europe, the United States, Canada. There's obviously a global demand. It probably doesn't take a great deal of explanation in all of these global markets as regards. So in in that respect, your product is a very easily understood product, which is filling an immediate gap that that investors, that infrastructure managers see a need. So so that's terrific. What opportunities in terms of investment are there for for investors who are looking at solar power, who are looking at solar power 2.0? What are the investors for what are the investor opportunities that are out there and specifically with your company? Well that's a very kind question, Jim. We actually have, we are a private company at this point. We have plans to list, but it probably won't be for a couple of years. And we're not entirely sure whether that's going to be Toronto or in keeping with our global nature. We might also have a listing in China. We might do a listing in London. That's all part of our long-term planning and we have to see. But currently we do have our raising equity for uh, qualified investors. That round will be open for a few more weeks. Anybody who is interested can absolutely contact me at the the details that you'll post in the online blog, and I'll be happy to speak to them and point them in the right direction if they're interested and get them access to the materials to make the right. Anders, why don't you share with our listeners what your contact information is right now? Strike while the iron is hot. Absolutely. So my email address would be best, and that's Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S, Cruise or dot cruise k r u u s at solar solar earth dot c a. So I'll spell it out one more time: a n d e r s dot k r u u s at s o l a r e a r t h dot c a. Thanks, Jim. Very good. Well, there you have it, listeners. Here is a leading technology, a new technology, a a technology which, as you just heard from Anders, is being taken up in China and Europe and South Africa and the United States and Canada. And there's there may be opportunities down the road for investors to participate in this very exciting new technology. And Anders, in the remaining few moments of our podcast, are there any closing thoughts you have for our listeners regarding both the technology, the investment opportunity, and solar power in general? It wouldn't be appropriate for me to comment on the investment opportunity in public forum, Jim, but needless to say, I'm very excited about Solar Earth as a company. I'm very proud of the fact that 
We are absolutely getting firm, usable product out there and at a price point that works for people, not just in terms of the upfront cost, but in terms of their return on the product. It's very exciting to see that I would say two-thirds of our current sales pipeline and activity is coming from municipalities and governments. They are very actively leading the charge to try to get infrastructure cleaner and greener and making sense for all of their constituents. And of course, that gives us the opportunity to work on slightly larger projects, which is always nice as well. So I think this is going to be happening. It'll probably happen around you in small bits and pieces, but it's going to be happening. And I I anticipate, as with so many things, James, it'll happen slowly and then very, very quickly. Certainly, that's my hope and that we'll be able to utilize the technologies of solar 2.0, not just solar earth, but all those many other things that people are working on and all of those exciting storage technologies that are coming quickly to market to build ourselves all a better future. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Anders Cruz, for joining us today to talk about solar earth technologies. Thank you very much for talking with us, Anders. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity, Jim. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And for our listeners, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on the website. It's easy and free to do so. And by subscribing, you can listen to all 216 episodes, read my book, peruse my blog, send me a message, or leave a comment. Also, feel free to leave a brief review of the San Francisco experience if you wish. Your opinion, of course, is always important to us. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from San Francisco, America's favorite city.